All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast, episode 294. It is Wednesday, April 13th. Yesterday was my grandmother's birthday, so shout out to Mimi. Uh, this is the show where young salespeople come to get ahead in their careers. Stoked for today's episode, I got Adam J on the pod. Adam is newly, just as of this month, named as the VP of Sales over at OnCue. Uh, he's an investor for the go-to-market fund. He's an exec member of Pavilion. Uh, he's an advisor and investor in multiple other startups. Uh, before that, he was the VP of Sales over at Reprise, uh, at Swag Up, at Spot On. He was a sales leader at Toast. He's got a ton of experience as a salesperson, as a sales leader. And I loved the conversation we had about building culture uh, and avoiding the no asshole rule, which Adam tells a great story about. So I uh, think you're going to enjoy this one. Before we get there, please, if you like anything you hear today, subscribe wherever you're listening or watching, leave a review uh, if you're on Apple, and please check me out on LinkedIn. My name is Tom Alemo uh, over there, and I post every single day about sales and personal development. So I will shut up now. Without further ado, let's get straight to my conversation with Adam J. Let's go. All right, now coming to us from the beautiful state of Florida, we've got the king of sales culture, Adam J. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, man. That, uh, that, that's a big title. You, you just gave me a whole lot to live up to while we chat. <laughs> we, I like to set the bar really high so that I feel like people try to you know, live up to the expectations. So the last thing I want to do is, is set you up for failure. I, I, I appreciate that. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll try to fill those shoes today. Um, well, I got to just comment for anyone that's, before we get into the good stuff, for anyone that's uh, checking in on, on YouTube and actually watching the episode, your backdrop is phenomenal. You've got the, the very like clear, you know, the baskets that I'm sure have papers and pencils and stuff in them. You've got the, the pictures of your family. You've got the, the different kind of words up there on the top that I guess probably define who you are, who you want to be. And then a little bit of like, tell me more over your left shoulder. Um, I mean, how long did that take to put together? Um, so we've been in the house about a year. <clears throat> this room is, um, it, we continue to iterate on it. I'm, I'm fortunate that I, I spent a lot of time in here. It was the first room we did. Um, the first time we did it, it, it took a few hours. Um, I have an amazing, amazing mother-in-law. Um, most people don't have the privilege <laughs> of saying this, but like she'll come down and stay with us for three weeks at a time and I don't want her to leave. Um, and she helped set it up. But to your point, everything... Uh, has a place. Don't ask me what's in what basket because I have no damn idea. Um, but every basket does have does have its uh, its place here. I love it. Um, so let's get in. Let's get into your sales story. Um, obviously, you know it caught my eye when I was looking on your LinkedIn that you were a radio DJ uh, of some sort before getting into sales. So so let's start there. The the only time you, I ever hear radio DJ when it comes to sales is when Chris Voss talks about his late night uh, radio DJ voice. I don't know if you have one of those, uh, but I'd love to just hear that story of, of uh, why you started there in your career. Yeah. So um, fun fact, I grew up in Las Vegas. Um, not a not a whole lot to do that doesn't get you in trouble. Um, I lived about 20 minutes from the strip, but we were on the strip almost every night. Um, my dad loved to gamble. It was cheaper to eat out than it was to eat at home. Um, so we'd go eat at what was known as the, the coffee shop, which is just your normal you know, restaurant in the casino. My dad would go play video poker. He'd hand me a hundred bucks, say, go play in the arcade. And I was like a kid and shit, right? Like four nights a week, I get to go play in the arcade. Okay. Um, 
may have done some dine and dash or little things I shouldn't have done. Um, but to get out of trouble, I, um, <clears throat> like you said, I got on radio and the way it happened is super simple, super silly. Mix 94.1 um, is the number one radio station out in Vegas. And they were doing a event at a casino that we were at. I was outside and I was talking to some of the promotions guys, like I wanted a t-shirt or some, some bullshit thing that I had no business having. Um, I was 16 at the time and they asked me like, Hey, do you want to intern in the promotions department? Like then instead of showing up at this one event, you could go to all the events. So I was like, yeah, that's pretty fucking cool. Who wouldn't want to do that? Like I'm going to work for a radio station. Did that for two years. Um, and they were like, Hey, like, you want to, you want to try being on the air? Like, hell, hell yeah. Like that sounds like fun. Like, great. You could have overnights. You could be on the air from like 11 at night till four in the morning. I'm like, that's awesome. When no one's listening, um, I get my chance to be on the radio. <laughs> Um, did that for about six months. And then I was asked if I wanted to jump to afternoons, um, and did afternoons for about a year from two to six, had an amazing time. Radio is a ton of fun. Um, back then it wasn't as automated as, as it is now. Right. So fun fact about radio now, it's all computers. Everything is pre-recorded for the most part. So when you hear your DJ come on and introduce their song, like they recorded that like a week mm -hmm. ago at their house, Bum. the program manager tells you exactly what song is going to be played when this like request bullshit is just yeah. that. You don't get to request a song. If you listen, you'll realize you'll never hear two female artists back to back. You'll never hear two male artists back to back. It's all very, very programmed. Um, but I realized that there was no money in radio. I had a blast. Um, How old were you when, when you took that job? 18, man. I was, I was young. Okay. Damn. So 18. you were just, just starting college or late high Correct. school, right? Yep. Starting college. Okay. Gotcha. Um, and made no money, like barely above minimum wage. Uh, yeah. the, the, the thing was like, you get exposure, you get to meet people, get to meet a lot of girls, um, <clears throat> but no, no money at all and no difference. And the only way you're really going to make money is by getting a syndicated morning show. So I realized that that wasn't um, where I wanted to be and started dating someone um, who was in pharmaceutical sales. And we, we called it T to T. Um, she worked Tuesday through Thursday, 10 to two. Um, <laughs> it, it's, I, I still remember that nice. expression. Yeah, must, it must be. Um, and made great money at, at the time. I was like, that's my next job. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get hired by a company called Shire Pharmaceuticals. Um, I joke that I sold speed to kids. <laughs> um, so I, I sold ADHD medication. So uh, Adderall, Adderall XR yeah. um, to pediatricians and psychiatrists. Um, the problem with pharmaceutical sales then and even more so now is it's, it's not real sales. At the end of the day, like you're a caterer, right? You're dropping off lunch. You're <clears throat> trying to get people to push your product and, you know, write prescriptions that they might not need to write if you haven't seen the movie Dope Sick. Um, um, I can't remember if it's uh, Netflix or Hulu, but it, it's all about OxyContin and how the reps were pushing. And like, it, it's very reminiscent of what pharmaceutical sales is. Um, and I hated it. I, I hated yeah. like pushing doctors to write scripts that don't exist. Uh, and I had a buddy who asked me if I wanted to get into healthcare, medical device sales. I was like, I, I could be in the operating room. Like, that's pretty damn cool. Yeah. Um, was super, super lucky, man. Um, interviewed at a medical device companies do all their interviews in hotels because like these are field jobs, right? You're, you're in the field in person, not what you and I are used to today where like we, if we see someone, it's on Zoom. 
Um, so they invited me to the Double Tree, Double Tree Suites um, in Fort Lauderdale. I get there and they like come up to room 1605. Like I can't imagine like if I'm a female employee, how awkward that I was going to say, okay. That's Things that probably would never fly now, right? Yeah. Um, and, I, and I got the job. I was the first territory manager they ever hired um, that didn't have device experience that came straight from pharma. Mm. And the company was called Hologic. They're the largest women's healthcare um, company in the world. And dude, I had so much fun, like being in the operating room and I worked with OBGYNs, women's healthcare, had a device that shaved away polyps and fibroids um, for women that potentially had cancer. So like a mission you could really get behind. You feel like you're giving back. Like I came home every day, <clears throat> like I, I potentially had a part in saving someone's life. Like that, that's pretty damn cool. Um, did that for, God, I was there almost eight years, worked my way up, you know, from a rep all the way up to a, um, a regional sales director, managing a team of like 20 something. Just got tired of selling to doctors and tech was big, um, you know, was introduced to someone at Toast and asked if I wanted to get into the tech world and kind of been playing in tech ever since, worked my way up from a DM all the way to um, VP of salesman. So walk me through the, there's a lot I want to dive into there. Walk me through the difference. So you're in the pharmaceutical job where you're potentially working 10 to 2, Tuesday through Thursday. That was your job. Oh, not, not potentially. I, I was working 10 to 2, okay. Tuesday through Thursday. <laughs> okay. Um, so you're working that job, uh, but it's it's very unfulfilling, it sounds like, in terms of what you're selling, how you're, how you're getting these deals done, versus working at Hologic. I don't know what the hours were like, um, but I know I know other people get at striker and, and other operating room type of sales snares and it's a grind it, to me Brutal. it seems like a grind um but it was more fulfilling so maybe walk me through kind of like the balances between you know working really hard for something fulfilling you, you stayed there eight years versus the pharmaceutical job that you know was good money not a lot of work but didn't make you feel very good you know it, it's funny because i um I, I go through this now a little bit you have different types of people. And listen, I've made the mistake of chasing the almighty dollar. Um, you know, oh, it's, you know, 10 grand more, 20 grand more, 50, whatever it is. <clears throat> but you're going to be miserable. Um, pharmaceutical sales was easy. I had a ton of free time. Um, I, I wasn't married at the time. I didn't have a kid. Um, but I was bored. Like, you, you literally, like, I, I, I want to paint this picture. Like, you're literally walking into an office. And it's like, hey, Dr. Tom. I want to talk to you about Adderall. You have your seven bullet points. Pharmaceuticals extremely regulated. You cannot say anything off script that is not FDA approved. So there is no freedom like where you like you're not building relationships. You're not you know bullshitting. It is you may say this. If they say that, you respond with this, um, and then they sign your their, your little iPad um, that you visited them today because it's all about metrics and how many doctors you're visiting. Um, and then you're measured on how many scripts are written. And for me, where I struggled was I was selling ADHD meds, right? Like I was literally putting kids on stimulants and our talk tracks, I wanna be very careful with how I word this. Um, our talk tracks were designed to encourage the diagnosis of ADHD. Um, and that didn't really sit right with me. And when I had a chance to interview with Hologic, and I've, I've not knock on wood, I, I've been very fortunate. I've never had anyone in my family diagnosed with uterine cancer or breast cancer or anything else. Um, but it's like, wow, like this, this is a mission that I could get behind. And I've tried to be very deliberate 
in my career since. And listen, man, I, I've, I fucked up. I certainly have some bogeys on my resume. Um, but I've tried to be very deliberate since of like everything that I do, I believe in the mission and the purpose. Um, <clears throat> and I go back to my interview, you know, at Hologic when I started, I'll, I'll never forget, Dominic Holton was the product um, marketing manager. Um, and he said to me, if you want to go sell a fancy widget or go sell a laser and make a shit ton of money, and that's all it's about, don't work here. Um, that's not us. But if you want to sell something you could be proud of with integrity, have fun, and still make good money, um, this is the right place, man. And, and that sits with me. I, I learned some of my best leadership lessons um, at Hologic, but I, I learned early, I was 23, I think, um, that that fulfillment piece is more important than the money piece. Yeah, I think that's something that, you know, uh, I think when you first get into sales, you can see the potential for, you know, big money if you are in the right place and you do a good job and you learn the right skills, especially in tech sales. And um, you could definitely get to that place where, man, I don't believe in the product or man, the product sucks or the culture is, you know, off kilter or we're doing shady things to get deals done or there's a lot of ways that a sales culture can go wrong. A lot of ways that you know you can feel kind of bad or guilty as a salesperson, and if you, if you're waking up every day like that, there's an expiration date on how long you can oh, be yeah. in that job, and, and maybe even how long you can be. And so that's what you think it always has to be like. So, um, when you're going out for different jobs and you're trying to identify the the right company for you, what are the types of questions you either ask yourself or or ask of the leadership team or things that you look for in particular that um, you know kind of line it up to be a fulfilling role. That's a great question, especially with now what's been kind of dubbed the great resignation, which I'll just call the great reassignment, because um, <laughs> people aren't people aren't resigning and not working. Um, you know, my dreams of winning Powerball ticket, but we're not there yet. Um, <clears throat> for me, there's three things that I really try to look at. Um, it, it's people, it's product, and it's culture. Um, and, and they all kind of stack rank fairly equally. But I, I think it's really important that you talk to the team that's in place to get an understanding of what day-to-day -day is like, what leadership is like, how attainable um, is quota. I, I see these job postings out there like, oh, you know, OTE of 250K for a mid-market, you know, AE. When you ask what percentage of people are hitting OTE, it's like, oh, 30%. I mean, that's fucking bullshit. Like OTE, yeah. I, I can tell you I'm going to hire you tomorrow. Your OTE is a million dollars. If you can't hit it, it, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, so I think it's important to dig into that. I, I would really dig into from the culture standpoint, like how are people recognized? Like, do you celebrate the small wins or the large wins? Do you celebrate both? How, how is conflict handled? This is a really big one um, that I've learned to ask, like specifically in, in a leadership role, you know, how does the leadership team handle conflict amongst one another? But for BDRs or AEs, like a couple things you could ask to assess culture, you know, how are new ideas treated, you know, at the org? Like if me or someone else has a off the wall idea, how is that treated? Like, is it something that we get to experiment with? Or are you just told to like, go rush off in your corner and like, don't talk about it. Vet the product, um, you know, reach out to potential, you know, customers. And I'm super transparent, like, hey, like I'm considering, you know, taking a job with a company in this space, I normally won't say who. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, the products in the space? LinkedIn is given us so much that we can do from a research perspective to see whether people are really happy or not. 
Um, I, I'm not going to say this because you work there, but like if you look at Gong, th th there's no way that the hundreds of people at Gong are posting and reposting and reposting everything that Gong does because they're miserable there. Like you just can't control people like that. Um, outreach does that really well. Um, also, Gravy is another great example of companies that have great culture, and you could tell by what people are or conversely are not posting on LinkedIn. Um, and then dig into the leadership team, man. The, the biggest bogeys I've made are because I have not done my diligence on the, the senior leadership team um, and what their track record is, what their leadership style is, um, and what career progression looks like. For me as a sales leader, you know, listen, my career progression is limited, right? Like I'm going from, I'm staying as VP of sales, going to CRO. I, I, I get that. But what's important to me when I'm looking at roles is what's the career progression for my team? If I hire an SDR, do I have the ability as a sales leader to craft a path for them to go to senior enterprise, AE, whatever it happens to be? Um, and I think that AEs and BDRs need to look at that as well. No one wants to be in, very few people want to be in their current role forever. And even if you want to carry a bag forever, so to speak, you still want to be able to progress beyond your current role. Uh, and if a company is not willing to offer that to you, it's probably not a company that I would look at. And so that's, I mean, that, that's that got to be a fair, maybe even, um, you know, a necessary, if I'm an AE and I'm interviewing with you or frontline sales manager or even a BDR to ask in the interview process, like, oh, yeah. what is what is the plan? Like, what's the career progression plan? I want to be a VP someday or I want to be a, an enterprise rep someday. Like, how do I get there? I, I think I, I would ask that, um, of course, because you want to see it. And know that it exists. I would ask how many people have been promoted, um, you know, both under you as a leader, you know, historically, wherever you've been, um, and what what percentage of management hires or senior AE hires at this company are, are internal promotions is something that's really important. I would also, you know, it's funny when you talk about plan and we're talking about OTE. Yes, you want to ask, you know, how many people have hit that, but any good company is going to let you see the comp plan before you sign on the dotted line. Um, back in the day, it was, listen, like Tom, I'm, I'm going to hire you. And you know, your OTE is 150. It's 75, 75, 50, 50 split. And it's based on you hitting your, uh, your quota. And most people are like, Oh, okay. Awesome. I, I'd love to see what that comp plan looks like and what, what those numbers are that I need to hit. Mm. The legit companies are going to share that with you. There's companies that won't share that with you. Um, do not go to those companies. Yeah. I think especially right now, the, the power is clearly in the salespeople's hands in terms of, uh, of the interview process and oh, what yeah. the job market looks like. And there's more info now, especially with companies like, you know, I see RepView and a lot of you know, some others that are trying to provide more transparency. And you mentioned LinkedIn earlier, like that's part of your job as a, as a salesperson are looking for a new role, like do your due diligence, like make sure you ask those questions Ask who's, you know, what percentage of people are hitting quota, ask to see the comp plan, you know, DM other AEs or people in that role on LinkedIn. I get it. I mean, I get DMs probably a half dozen to a dozen per week about gong yeah. people I don't know. Just say, hey, what's it like there? Can we talk for a few minutes? Like you should be doing things like that um, if you're in the market to, to really scope it out because you can get a really great role right now for, for probably great money just based on where the market is, but you want to make sure that you're set up for success. It's so important, you know, and if you do LinkedIn right and you utilize LinkedIn the right way, 
you really will never have to apply for a job again. I, I'm a big believer that when you apply for a job, your application goes into the black hole of the ATS, the applicant tracking system abyss, and you're lucky if you get a yeah. fucking call back. Almost every person I've hired and almost every person in my network that I know has been hired by way of an introduction from someone. Hey, you really want to talk to Tom because he's looking for a role. Um, yes, you're still going to have to interview, um, but you skip the line. And I have seen more and more leaders doing this, but every, every place I've been, I, I, I teach a personal branding class you know, for my team on LinkedIn, and none of it is about branding to the company. It's all about branding to yourself. If we're doing it right, you want to post on behalf of what you're doing and you want to build your network, but that's probably 30% of it. Very little of my posting is tied to where I work. My posting is about my leadership style, my brand, and I use it as a recruiting tool. For AEs and SDRs, you're building your personal brand about your selling style, about what's important to you, about your values. And you don't ever have to go out and look for a job again. And conversely, most educated customers now are going to look you up on LinkedIn and they're going to get a sense of, you know, who you are as well. Yeah, I mean, people ask all the time about like personal brand and, and why you do that. And it, are you doing it to sell more? And you know, I, I happen to sell to sales leaders. And so there, there is a little bit of a, of a crossover there, which is great. But I, I started it when I was selling to marketers. And, uh, and so it, it didn't necessarily help me sell more, but it helps you to try to rip up the resume as early in your career as possible. You don't want to be uh, in the camp of one of hundreds or thousands of resumes that all look the same applying yeah. for this job. And, um, you know, I, I, from what I hear and, and what I believe, like the best jobs out there are uh, not out there on not necessarily on LinkedIn. They're not necessarily a company website. Uh, they, they can be created for you or they could be, you know, just made through introductions and you're the right person and you're top of mind because you've added value to people and you've shown, you know, you, you've shown your work of, of what you're capable of and who you are and, and people will take notice of that. Yeah, some, someone's looking, some sales leader, marketing leader, tech leader. Um, knows they have a role that's about to open. Um, and they remember that, you know, Tom posted these 17 things or they saw Bob post these nine things um, and they reach out to you or you get introduced before it. You're, you're right. Most jobs and there's studies out there. I don't know what the numbers are, but they're not posted on the company website. They're, they're certainly not on LinkedIn. Um, and they're not on, I mean, back when I was growing up, it was like monster.com and career builder. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll age myself a little bit here. I'm older than I look. So you teach a personal brand uh, <clears throat> class to, to the reps on your team. You know, I, I feel like if I'm a leader, that might take me a little bit by surprise, right? And the initial instinct might be getting defensive of, hey, if I teach Tom how to build a personal brand, someone's just going to go out and poach him if he's good, right? Um, and that doesn't seem to be a fear of yours. Not at all, man. Uh, pe people want to work for people who want to elevate them as people. You are so much more to me than a rep at ABC company. Um, and I think that that's where my leadership style kind of differs. And you and I were talking about this before we launched, right? Like in only in one sense, am I the typical sales leader in, in the sense that I swear like a sailor? Um, other than that, I, I try to, I try to be different. And I, I say that I, I manage numbers. I coach people and, and there's a very big difference there. No one wants to be managed. You don't want me to manage you. You want me to coach you and make you better. And if we're treating you right, 
if we're giving you the opportunity to make a, a good living, if you're representing a good product, and we have this culture where you want to be part of this team and you want to help this business grow, I don't have a fear that someone's going to come poach you because when they do, you're going to be happy. And yes, people are going to come poach you. Listen, man, the job market's great. If you're a good rep, you should be getting reached out to by recruiters all day long, every single day. But if you have a leadership team that has your back, that wants to help you grow, that wants to see you succeed, that encourages you to build your personal brand and be your authentic self in and out of work, you don't want to leave that because the grass isn't always greener on the other side. And I say that staring at my backyard full of turf where it's always green. <laughs> yeah. I, so what's the what's the first thing? Let's say someone's listening to this and uh, they're like, all right, I'm, I'm bought in on personal brand. I don't really have one right now on LinkedIn. Like what? How, how do you start with folks in that course? So there, there's a couple things. Um, you know, I always start, whether it's LinkedIn or in person with don't be an asshole. Um, and we could tie back to that in a minute. But I think, you know, give more than you get, man. Um, you know, if you go out there and your function is to just, hey, Tom, saw your content, um, you know, want to uh, connect about a possible job opportunity at Gong. Like, to your point, you get half a dozen, a dozen of those a week, you don't have time to talk to a dozen people a week. Like yeah. you, you just don't. Yeah. Um, but I bet you if I've interacted with your content for, you know, three or four weeks and commented and liked and added you some value. And then I'm like, Hey, been following you for a long time. Loved this post on that. We talked about this, you know, do you have 10 minutes you could give me? You're probably a lot more likely to give me that 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so give much more than you get. Do not ever connect and pitch. It is the dirtiest thing you could do on LinkedIn. Um, I despise it. People do it in two ways. And the, the first is almost more offensive than the second, where they will send me a LinkedIn connection request. And in that request is the pitch, um, <laughs> which blows my mind. And then the second is you connect and 30 seconds later, that DM comes in and it's, hey, I'm Tom from Gong. And because you're a VP of sales, you know, you must suffer, you know, from not knowing what your reps are saying on your sales calls and gone can help with that. Dude, you don't, just because I'm a fucking VP of sales doesn't mean you know my problems. We do not all have the same problems. Let's be super clear. Um, and then don't be controversial. I mean, that's the number one thing that I've seen tank people. Like, listen, there, there's a place, right? Like if you want to go on Facebook and talk about politics and talk about religion, and I, I would argue you still shouldn't do it, but that's probably the place to do it. Um, LinkedIn isn't for that. It, it's, it's a professional setting and you can absolutely have different opinions. I, I teach people to have different opinions and to engage appropriately with, you know, hey, Tom, I, I, I really think that your thought process there is slightly off. I've been doing it this way and I've seen these results. What do you think about that? That's a lot different than me saying, hey, Tom, your idea is fucking stupid, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. And people do it. Um, and just interact with people, man. Like, don't take it so seriously. Like, if you look at it as, oh, I, I gotta, you know, track my followers every single day, and you know, how how many likes and comments did this post get? And oh, it did it. You're, you're gonna kill yourself. Listen, do I track my metrics? Absolutely, I do. Um, I've been at the the brand game a while. Am I OCD about them? No. Do I look at them every day? Absolutely not. Um, to me, it's all about giving a whole lot more than I'm getting. Yeah. Uh, I, I absolutely agree with that. And we've, we've skimmed across this, Adam, it's time to get in. You've, you've referenced the, the asshole story uh, a couple of <laughs> times. And uh, so I, I don't really know what this is, but 
I'm intrigued by it. So I'd love to hear whatever the asshole story is. So this is particularly true for anyone who wants to advance in their career. Um, whether it's to become a senior AE, if you're an AE, uh, an AE from a, uh, a manager, whatever it is, typically top performing reps are the first people that are looked at for leadership. There's a whole separate conversation we go on a tangent about because um, different skill sets. So I was at Hologic for about a year and a half. Um, number one rep, I, I won rookie of the year, I won rep of the year, you know, twice, um, and a district manager role opened in Florida. Fuck, this role's mine, right? I'm the number one rep. Why, why wouldn't I get this role? I mean, the interview's got to be some bullshit like rubber stamp, huh? So I interview, go through the process. I don't get the role. They promote someone who not only had numbers that weren't as good as mine, but wasn't there as long as I was. And my mind was blown. I was young, stupid. I didn't seek any feedback. Like, fuck it. I, I didn't get the role. I'm going to go back to making a bunch of money. And then another role opens. They split the district. I interview. And I don't get that role either. So now I'm really pissed. Like, two times. I'm, I, I, dude, I, I am the number one rep. Why am I not getting this role? I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm at a national sales meeting in San Diego. I don't remember the name of the resort. Um, I'm sitting out there with my VP of sales, Whitney Parachek, who um, amazing, amazing sales leader. Um, and she says to me, can I, can I give you some like super raw, honest feedback? Yeah. Do you want to know why you didn't get promoted? Absolutely. And what she said out of her mouth next, like blew my mind. She's like, because you're an asshole. Like, excuse me? Like, can, can you elaborate a little bit for me? She's like, absolutely. You're the number one rep, which is great. Everyone has to know you're the number one rep. You crush numbers all the time. Everyone has to know it. You don't share your best practices. You don't share your ideas. You think you're better than everyone else. You're not collaborative. And you're an asshole. And that's not what leadership is. She's like, if you want to be a leader, listen, I'm not telling you to not be the number one rep. You should be the number one rep. But shut the fuck up about it. Everyone sees the same sales dashboard that you do. Everyone knows you're the number one rep. They don't need you to tell them that you're the number one rep. When you have something that's working, share that idea with others. You are what makes you successful, not this one thing you might be doing different than everyone else, right? If you and I are doing the exact same thing, human nature, someone's going to like you better, someone's going to like me better. That's okay. Share those best practices. Um, seek to understand, ask feedback, and just be humble. And you'll see your career take a massive change. And I mean, we're going back over a decade, man. Like this still sits with me to my core today, um, to the point that I, I now get feedback that <laughs> I, I need to take more credit because you'll hear me say like, someone's like, oh, you're doing a great job. I'm like, dude, I, I have 42 people that make, make me look really good. Like at the end of the day, like I'm a coach. Um, and I believe that. And it, it was a mindset change of don't be an asshole, give back. And it goes to give, get, right? It doesn't just apply to sales. Give a whole lot more than you get. Seek feedback, let the results speak for themselves and remain humble. And you'd be amazed how much that will help you both professionally and personally. Um, so don't be an asshole. Like I, I have tell me more behind me. It should say, don't be an asshole. The customers don't like that. Um, holds very true. And I think that's 
probably the number one advice I could give when people want to grow in their career is just be a decent human being and give back to others. And you'll be amazed how successful you'll be because no one wants to work for an asshole. And it's, we, we were talking before, like back in the day, like no one was allowed to talk to the VP of sales, right? Like, oh, the VP of sales, like you got to go through your manager and then your director and then to the VP of sales because it's the big, scary person. Um, and I strive to be the opposite. I want to be accessible to everyone. No one has to go through their manager to call me, slack me, text me. Like, listen, I, I, I don't want to overshadow my managers and I want you to build that relationship with them and they're your direct report. But if there's an area where I can help you or something you want to talk about, dude, ping me and, and let's talk about it. This, this hierarchy stuff doesn't need to exist. I am no better than anyone else that I need. You have to go through seven layers to, you know, get me on Slack or get me on the phone. It's, it's, it's bullshit and it shouldn't exist. Do you feel like <clears throat> earlier in your sales career, when you were an asshole, uh, uh, you had a different motivation. Um, and what I mean by that is when I started my sales career, I was very externally motivated and my, my goal was to be the best. It was to crush everyone else. Like I would, yeah. I would like, I would intentionally stay at the office to be the last one there, even if I wasn't doing anything productive, just to send the <laughs> message that I was going to be the best rep for real. Um, like it's embarrassing it. to say. Um, and, and it worked. It like, it worked. I, I did a great job. Um, and other people probably like, you know, saw me as that and it, it built a reputation, but it also burnt me out. And so after a certain amount of time, I, I had to look more inward and say, look, I, I need to be the best of me. I need to, you know, try to get to where I can get to, you know, if I share something with others, it's going to mean they're going to share something with me down the road. And I, I have learned that, but I'm just curious if, if that resonates with you or, or maybe it was a different reason. No, it hundred percent does, dude. I, I, I was, and I still am to an extent money motivated, right? Like yeah. I, I, I want to see that graph go up into the right and that bank account go up into the right. And similar to what you said, like, I'm going to crush everyone. I, I am going to be the best no matter what. What I realized is I could still be the best while giving back. Dude, I am still super competitive. I do not like down into the left. I do not like down into the right. I, I do not like losing um, prior to being like a, a VP of sales, like as a director or an RVP, like I, I, I'm hyper competitive. But I think you could still be super collaborative while wanting to be the best. Um, and arguably it's gonna make you better because then no matter how good you are, people wanna help you still where when you're dominating and you're an asshole, no one wants to help you because everyone wants to see you fail. Everyone wants to see the proverbial nice guy be number one, right? They don't want the asshole to be number one. And you, you, it, it's changing that motivation from purely money motivated to still money motivated, but giving back and being a good human being and being respected by others. And it's a small world. It's a small sales world like tech, SaaS sales, like I've, I've been in the game for only seven years now and, and I'm even seeing it where it's just like, well, you worked for that person and they're friends with this person and you either got a job offer or you got like, you know, a no reply because of that relationship or lack thereof. And um, I'm sure it just only compounds the longer and longer you're in it. So you've got you've to be super mindful of that throughout the process. As, um, <clears throat> as my dear friend, Amy Volus from Thursday Night Sales says, it's a very big very small world. Um, you, you never know who you're going to bump into again, who's going to be able to influence your career. 
Um, I was just talking to a BDR today who sent me a message asking how I was doing. And the last line was like, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't get to work with you. And my response was, it's a very big, very small world. Our paths yeah. will cross again. Everyone knows everyone, man, especially at the companies we all want to work for. Right. Yeah. Um, like everyone knows someone at that company and that's like word of mouth, man. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> yeah. hundred um, percent. I want to shift you to a couple rapid fires here. Oh boy. Uh, so uh, first up, this is a unique one. I got to ask from based on the beginning of the combo, this is a self-serving question from you and your radio DJ life. Uh, what's your number one tip for captivating an audience? Be authentic. Be you. Don't try to be someone else. People can pick up on that shit, man. Um, when, when you try to be someone else, it, you're, you're not authentic. There, there's too much pause. You're trying too hard. Um, be, be your authentic self, both inside and outside of work. Love it. Um, we're learning machines on this podcast. I'm not sure if you're a reader or not. Uh, if you are, I'd love to hear any books that have uh, changed you led you whether it's sales leadership life we got the culture code here tell me about that so the culture code is a great one for leaders just talking about how to build an inclusive culture um where people want to work um versus a culture where people don't it's a, really talks about that inclusivity valuing ideas remaining humble um that that's kind of my current read but Man, there's a lot of good ones. Um, if you're in SMB or mid-market sales, Scott Lisa's Addicted to the Process um, is a phenomenal one. Just talks about the importance of following process. Light read. It's like 90-something pages. You could read it in less than a day. Um, so much valuable information. Challenger sale, gap selling, fanatical prospecting. Um, dude, I, I, I am constantly reading. Um, typically more of the uh, fiction stuff versus nonfiction. But there's so many books out there um, that I think can shape a, a true sales professional. The caveat is like, I don't believe in one method, right? Like I won't tell you Medic is the best, Sandler's perfect, Challenger is amazing, Gap Selling is you know, the way to go. Take a little bit of everything and mold your style and, and be you and find what works. It's different based on industry. It's different based on ICP. It's different based on your personality. Um, and now, you have to adapt your style to your customer. Like if, if I have some checkbox in Salesforce that says like, I'll, I'll use Gong, you know, you have to talk to the CRO before you can send a contract. Can you imagine telling like a, a VP of sales, like I can't send this unless your CRO comes and sits on a demo. Like you can't do, but people do that shit. It blows my mind. Um, take a little bit of each of those um, and, and figure it out. And then if you want to be a leader, um, more than a number um, is another great one that talks about making that transition from AE to uh, VP of sales, also also by Scott Lees. Yeah, major shout out to Scott. He's uh, he's one of the goats out there for sure. He, he didn't he didn't even pay me to say this. <laughs> me neither, but but I love Scott. <laughs> um, all right, you mentioned fiction books uh, that you're more into. What 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 do you get into? Any type of like uh, genre in there or? Yeah, every, every, everything James Patterson. Um, every book okay. he has, I, I have set to auto-download. He lives 15 minutes from me over in the much nicer part of uh, West Palm Beach. He lives on the island. Um, love his books. I've, I've always been enthralled by murder mysteries, courtroom dramas, um, things along those lines. Cool. Uh, what goes on in the Adam J headphones music-wise? <laughs> um, man, that's a great one. We're getting deep. Uh, I'm, I'm a little old school. <laughs> um, huge Billy Joel fan. 
Um, okay. Fun fact, I've seen him 29 times. Um, <laughs> a fan li- is an understatement. A li- 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 little bit of a fan. My, my wife wants to kill me every time. I'm like, hey, want to go to another Billy Joel concert? She's like, please, no. Um, Elton John, Goo Goo Dolls, um, Love Train. My, my kid's a huge Train fan. I'm taking him um, to Austin this summer to go see them. Um, he's seen nice. them four or five times. Um, no rap. I, I typically just stay away from the rap and stay away from the country. Um, I'll, I'll really age myself and give people a good laugh, but like, I still love Alanis Morissette, man. Um, I think she's okay. probably still the, be- the best female artist um, that we've seen. I like it. I like it. I'm a big Bill. I haven't seen him, let alone 29 times, but I am a big Billy Joel fan as well. How could you not be? He's awesome. Um, man. Who else do you, uh, or, or how else do you like to learn? I'm not sure if you're a podcast guy blog youtube linkedin but but anything stand out that um you've been like diving into recently you know it's embarrassing to say i'm not a podcast guy as we're sitting here recording one um (laughs) i've done several of them i need to listen to more of them um i'm more of a visual person than an audio person uh linkedin is my go-to man um i think that if you follow the right people and that's the key right We, we talk about this a lot linkedin and is clubhouse still a thing like you probably know better than i um I think I think it dwindled, right? Um, but everyone's got a everyone's got a platform. Everyone now has a platform where they can talk, um, and you want to make sure that you're following people who should be followed. When you look at everyone having a platform, you could start to take bad advice. Um, so look at those mutual connections. Look at who's respected in the industry. But I block out typically 8.30 to 9 in the morning every day is my LinkedIn time. Um, I'll do my post the night before. I don't do my post in advance like a lot of people do. Um, I, I want them to be fresh for the day. I, I, I have a list of like what I want to post about. Um, and I literally just like randomly pick something and that's my post for the day. Um, but 8.30 to 9 is like where I go through and really try to observe and see what's going on in my space and learn and get advice from others. Um, I'm part of a couple of groups, you know, from a learning standpoint, Pavilion has been phenomenal for me Um, from a sales leader standpoint, GTM fund is another one that's great. Um, Modern sales pros for leaders, like there's so much content out there that you can absorb. I think it's really important just to find what is for your style. If you're early in your career, you know, an SDR, early AE, Rev Genius is great. If you're a VP of sales, you probably won't get a whole lot of value from it. Um, conversely, an SDR and pavilion would not, it, it just doesn't make sense. So I think finding, you know, the learning style and the communities um, that are out there for you, shameless plug, um, Thursday night sales, regardless of where you are um, in your sales journey or marketing journey is probably the single best revenue community that I found um, every Thursday night, eight o'clock. And it's just real advice from real people where we talk about everything from career progression to how to handle the dispute with the guy sitting next to you on the SDR floor to um, everything in between that. I think there's so much learning you could do and there's a ton of great podcasts out there that I'm embarrassed to say I, I don't listen to. Um, but for me, it's all LinkedIn. I love it. It's a wealth of knowledge. Um, all right, one of the last ones here for you, Adam. Who would you want to see come next on the Millennial Sales Podcast? Oh, wow. Um, 100%. So I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stray, right? Like I, I, of course, could tell you, oh, you know, Scott Lees or Kevin Dorsey or people that we all, all know. Um, let, let's go up and coming. Um, people okay. who are really making a difference. Um, either Darren or Eric McKee. 
um, mm. are both phenomenal folks. Eric works at Gravy, um, has a great story of how he got into tech from the nonprofit world and is built up to management. And then Darren McKee um, is an enterprise AE at Wealthy um, and puts out a ton of great content that I think can be super valuable for people who want to break into tech. Love it. I've seen their names before, but I don't think that we've connected. So I will, uh, I'll have to hit them up. You guys, you're on my prospecting list now. Um, Love it. Adam, I, uh, I, I very much enjoyed the conversation. Before we uh, let you go, I know that you're just right now starting uh, at a new role. So I'd love to, you know, first congratulate you on that, but just let you Thanks, speak man. for a minute about what the role is, um, what it is that you're excited about. And then I, I don't know if you're um, hiring for, for roles or anything like that, but this would probably be a good place to uh, share that as well. Yeah, so super, super excited going, um, going kind of back a little to my roots um, and making a difference for SMB um, business owners. Um, so just started as the VP of sales at a company called OnCue, O-N-C-U-E. We are a B2B SaaS platform for the moving industry. And, you know, people, when I spoke to them about it, like the moving industry, I'm like, Reminds me of my time at Toast, right? When I started at Toast, it was taking restaurant owners who were taking their orders on this pad, you know, and using a brick to run their credit card processing and showing them the power of technology from a marketing standpoint, lead generation standpoint, and really running your business. And what we're doing at Anki is the same thing for the moving industry that arguably is so fragmented and paper-driven and these folks don't know where their leads are coming from. They don't know how to monetize marketing. Um, and we built a platform that allows them to run their entire business in this all-in-one B2B SaaS platform and grow. Um, and I'm excited, man. I'm excited to be able to look at people who had this American dream of starting a business um, and being able to, you know, come back and have someone say, Hey, like I did okay last year, but like this year I was able to put away a hundred grand for my kid's college. Um, you know, I, I was able to go buy three more trucks and expand my business. Um, I think it's something that's super powerful and in a space that's not going to change. And, you know, when people ask why think about this for a second, right? When people are doing well and they're making a lot of money, what do they do? They go get a bigger house and they move. Mm. If people aren't doing well and money's tight, what do they do? They got to move and downsize. You always have movers. And to be able to empower movers with the same technology at a local level that the beacons and the North Americans of the world have um, was a mission that I could really get behind. Yeah, well, I could tell you as someone that's moving right now, the moving industry is, is broken in a lot of ways. Uh, and so uh, I, I love the mission. And to your point, I think that like we think about the great resignation or great reassignment, I think, as you called it, you know, people are moving all over and they realize that they don't need to live in, uh, you know, San Francisco or New York necessarily, right? They can go live in Boise, Idaho for, for a third of the price or wherever they want to go. Uh, maybe not Boise. Uh, we we got a whole separate conversation about that. Like, listen, you can live wherever you want. And I think those companies that aren't offering remote are going to lose out. Um, whether it's yeah. requiring people to come in full-time or even if you say, listen, if someone said to me, you have to be in the office three days a week, I would laugh at them. Um, but when you look at where people want to live, to all the sales leaders that may be listening, don't change your comp plans based on where people live. Um, mm. Listen, I do believe if someone lives in LA, New York City or San Fran, are you going to have to pay them a little more and have a stipend in it because they live in those cities? Perhaps. But to your point, should I pay you less because you live in Boise, Idaho? Listen, man, if you had the good sense and the ability to go work someplace that has a lower cost of living, how dare I 
shame on me if I say your compensation is going to be affected because you made a lifestyle decision that is better for you and your family that you're fortunate enough to be able to do. Don't change comp plans based on where people live. Preach it. Preach it, Adam. Um, a little, little bit of passion there in case you can't tell. I love it. I, I agree with you. Um, couldn't agree more. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Everyone, go check out Adam J. Follow him on LinkedIn. He's got great content. Um, check out what he's going to be doing on, at OnQ uh, if you're interested in uh, if you're if you're in that industry or if you're interested in a job or or advice or anything, make sure to hit him up. Um, but Adam, appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you for your time. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks for checking out that episode. Start of the year. Let's kick some ass. Again, one of my goals for this show is to get as many subscribers uh, wherever you're listening here uh, on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, etc. Subscribe, leave a review, and then hit me up on uh, LinkedIn, Tom Alamo. Uh, or any of my other socials at Tommy Tahoe. Look forward to connecting with you there. Peace.